This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. As the world opens up and we're able to venture forth and go and explore again, it's essential that we have the kit we need so we don't leave nature hotspots disappointed. With that in mind, I cannot recommend Leica Sport Optics enough. Leica not only have a great range of optics for a wide range of uses, but they also offer finance plans to help people like me that would rather pay bit by bit. I'm currently using the Leica HD Ultravids, and now I can clearly see all the birds that I am also still unable to identify. Read more about Leica's range via their website in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks as always for clicking play on that pod. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. It is a delight to be talking to you all. I hope you have had a lovely week and are not stressed with the current COP26. Hashtag COP26. Ah, it's been mad. There's been so much updates. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Let's not talk about that because we're about to in a minute. (laughs) So I won't talk about that now. I hope you're all well. Lovely to talk to you again. I'm not alone doing this intro today for the first time in 80... Well, this is the 81st episode. So the first time in 80 episodes, I am not alone as I introduce today's show. I am joined by someone that's been on the episode... I've been on a few episodes now. You're hogging the mic, really. And now he's here for the intros. He is staying at mine in London for the weekend. Gone on the COP26 march in London today. We're going to Hampstead Heath tomorrow for a nature walk. It is, of course, the lovely Mr. Indy Green. Hello, Indy. Hello, thank you so much for allowing me to... I'm honoured to have the pleasure to join you underneath your table (laughs) to record the intro, which you guys probably didn't know, but that's how this is done, and that's why this audio is so beautiful (laughs) and crisp. This is behind the scenes of Into the Wild yeah. Pod, and I am honoured to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. The, 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 yeah, indie scene behind the scenes of... So where's your studio, Ryan? Oh, it's under this table covered by this duvet. This is where I do my intros, but... It's cosy. It's nice. It's cosy. I'm quite hot now. It does get warm quick, doesn't it? It does get warm. Too. Yeah, no, it, um, it does. It is, it's like the planet. It's getting warmer every, every couple of seconds under here. You've been in London for 24 hours now. Mm. Um, for me, it's been a bit like the film George of the Jungle. George of the Jungle? George from the Jungle? Where George from the Jungle really comes to the city. There's also a film called Jungle to Jungle with, I want to say, Tim Allen. You don't know who that is, do you? Didn't he do something with Tom Hanks? He did. He did Toy Story with Tom Hanks. He, he voiced he Buzz Lightyear. Lightyear. Well oh, done. Oh, my god. That is the first <laughs> pop culture reference you've ever got. <laughs> That's not Taylor Swift related. <laughs> well done. So Jungle to Jungle was similar. It was bringing a, a man that grew up in the jungle to the, the concrete jungle. And I feel like that's what has is happening this weekend. I'm bringing uh, Indy Green from Sherwood Forest to, to the big smoke, the concrete jungle. How, I, how have you been in London? I'm actually really enjoying it, actually. I'm enjoying it a, a lot more than I'd like to be. Um, it's it's really really I'm, I'm understanding the tube I don't know where I'm going I understand what you're supposed to do yeah um, tell everyone I'm, what you wrote so everyone, just heads up everyone knows that you have oyster cards in um, in London tell everyone what you wrote on your oyster card oh um, well it said oyster at the front and I thought well that's not finished yet so I found a sharpie and wrote catcher after it so it's now oyster catcher as it should be which um, of course everyone is a bird I must must tell I mean, that I had to point that out to you, to be fair. No, you felt the need to point that out to me. <laughs> I didn't know that was a bird. 
I think I knew that was a peregrine. You also saw a peregrine falcon today. I did see a peregrine, which you and um, everybody else we were with thought was... A gull. A gull. I was about That's to say That's because there's usually gulls everywhere. Yes, I know, but it was a peregrine falcon. You were with yeah. a bird nerd, not a worm nerd. That is true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is very true. And today we went on the COP26 London March, which mm. was, was quite inspiring. Is that the right word? Yeah. God, yeah. It was, it was a mood it was booster, really, wasn't it? It was really good. It was really positive. So there was around 20,000 people. Uh, turned up on the streets of London. We went past all the cool stuff. Ticked off some big bucket lists. <laughs> uh, Trafalgar Square, some square, square, St Paul's Cathedral, all sorts of stuff. It was really, it was, no, like I said, it was really, really positive. Great to see so many people shouting and screaming and passionate about the environment and wanting to save it. Some great placards and some great chants. It was really, really good. And of course, that peregrine was very, very. very of course, nice. the peregrine. The peregrine. Of course. Well, what else do you expect? I saw yeah, it exactly. twice. Exactly. Twice. Yeah. Twice. Well, we saw it all once. You seem to see it twice, but um, it was. It was, um, it was good. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was good fun. Um, <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen on the podcast, you'll know usually what we do at this point is we do 60-second nature news. And we've not done it for the last couple of weeks because, quite frankly, there's been so much going on. And I won't lie to you, nerds, it's been hard to find positive nature news going on. I'm not saying it's not out there happening. It's just hard to find it being reported on for me to be able to report to you. But what I thought we would do this week is do a midweek COP26 recap. So a 60-second COP recap. COP recap <laughs> cop recap um but i don't think i should do it because i'm always you know people are always laughing at me and oscar's always taking taking a bit of the p- uh, that i can't get through anything in 60 seconds so i thought indy you could take the reins with this one and you could do a recap of the pledges so far that have been set by the world leaders or some, most of the world leaders at cop 26 in glasgow would you like to take that challenge so you've decided to dump this burden on me instead I, pretty much yeah, yeah okay well listeners bear with me this is my first rodeo it um, is it's my oh, let me move the I'm... mic a little bit closer to you so people can hear you i mean nobody you wants that but there you go. hello hopefully you can hear me better are you ready you've got 60 seconds to try and do this 60 seconds 60 seconds in, and, and in the words of rupaul don't get <laughs> <it> up <laughs> all right this is why I'm right, you've got 60 seconds deep breath World so-called leaders have pledged to end deforestation by 2030. 190 countries, aka the ones who could be bothered, agreed to end coal-fired power. Nearly 100 countries have agreed to piss on, or in their words, slash methane emissions. 40 nations back clean technology plan to help developing world hit net zero. The Indian Prime Minister pledges net zero by the useless date of 2070. Ecuador is going to expand marine reserves around the Galapagos Islands. South Africa receives... billion to ditch coal at COP26. And finally, the UK finance industry is being forced to publish their net zero plans. And that is the end of 60 Seconds COP Recap. You're welcome. There we go. How did you find that? Exhausting. (laughs) Absolutely exhausting. Okay, uh, just let you know, nerds, that took a lot longer than what you've just heard. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, you're just a brilliant friend. That's (laughs) an embarrassing... No, I'm joking. Oscar, think how lucky Oscar is. Oscar gets to hear the raw footage of this. I mean... I would not want to be Oscar because that. I think I mean, he enjoys it. That's I mean, what I tell myself to make sure he doesn't. I mean, he's, go he's the only person who knows the real you. That's he is. Do you know what he is? He knows yeah. how much of a potty mouth I can be <laughs> until he has to edit out. Um, 
Ladies and gentlemen, nature nerds, uh, let's move on to today's episode. Um, today's show, I've actually moved forward a bit. It was meant to be another episode, but I decided to bring this one forward because um, it's it's kind of on topic with what's going on in Glasgow and everything. Um, I spoke to the wonderful naturalist and wildlife filmmaker um, Ella Potts, um, <laughs> which Indy is very excited about, um, as he should be, and as all you should be as well, because Ella is a fantastic person who works in the polar regions and is doing some wonderful things, making some shows for Netflix currently as well, and she's worked for Nacho and all these different organisations. I spoke to Ella about the complications of working in these freezing temperatures and what kind of wildlife she loves seeing and the reason why she decided to pitch her camera in that kind of environment, which obviously led us on to climate crisis and biodiversity crisis and the melting of the polar ice caps, which sounds so cliche when you say it out loud, but it is a thing and it is happening. Which then obviously led us on to COP26. So today's show is a bit of a, you know, it's it's a bit of a wildlife filmmaking in an inhospitable environment for humans. But we do go on to talk about our hopes and our management of our anxieties for COP26. So if you're feeling a bit rubbish about COP, I do apologise, but I do think it's positive. I do go on a bit of a rant on this episode as well. For a change. For a change. I do apologise. <laughs> Um, if it gets a bit, I don't know, sweary. It's all bleeped out. You guys are fine. But enough of our mouth. Um, anything you want to say? Enjoy, because Ella is one of the coolest people I've ever worked with. And Ouch. I mean, I only <laughs> I, I speak the truth, and I mean the truth. It's because you outed me about taking longer to say That's the intro true. than I, I, than you, I, than I would I do apologise. So, yes, Ella is one of the coolest people I've worked with. Enjoy, because this is going to be... Very good. I can't wait to listen. Well, you will. And let's move on to today's show. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Working in the Polar Regions with Ella Potts. I've just remembered. Mm-hmm. So, when I knew I was going to do an episode with you. Yeah. And I was like, right, I'm, to- I'm talking to Ella. That's me. I-, I-, I could start the podcast by singing a song. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And I was like, do I do it? Bearing in mind, I've never spoken to Ella before, so I'm just going to go for it. Um, so, Ella, this is how you're being presented on Into the Wild. Fantastic. Ella, 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 hey, 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 under my umbrella. Ella, 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 hey, hey. That's how we start in this episode. So I hope you... Ella, welcome to... I mean, questionable, but thank you very much for humouring the Rihanna interpretation for your name. Welcome to Into the Wild. It's a pleasure to get the chance to talk to you. How are you? Are you well? Oh, I'm I'm so well. It's so lovely to talk to you too. I'm we we had a little chat before, didn't we? Um we did. I, I did admit that I do actually listen to your podcast. So yeah, it is, it is <laughs> lovely to to be on and to talk to you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, so nice to be here. Oh, it's so nice of you. Don't worry. I think, do you know what? The last few guests have said that. Now it's looking from the listener's point of view that I'm just bringing on people that listen to the show just for my ego. But that's not what's happening. These <laughs> <laughs> are just brilliant people that just happen to listen to the show. Should we, should we cut that bit out? Should we try again? Because I don't want to sound like I'm no, just no, no. Being- we're, so no, we're putting trite. it in. We're yeah. definitely <laughs> no, we're there. putting it in. To be you complimented honest, the podcast. To be honest, I'm like an absolute grade A nerd, so I don't know what else you expected from me. <laughs> like, of course. Well, wel- welcome to the gang, mate. We've got t-shirts. Don't worry about it. Fantastic. <laughs> so excited to talk to you um, about a topic, as always, with my guests that I've never spoken about before. But we've got to start at the very top, Ella, and ask you the question: Can you start by telling us? 
who are you and what is it you do? That is a very good question. Um, my name's Ella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, so I started out really as a as kind of like a whale nerd. Really, I trained as a marine biologist. You started out as a whale nerd. <laughs> started out as a whale nerd. <laughs> I was um, I you know, I trained as a marine biologist. I went on to work for some whale and dolphin charities in the UK. Um, I've mm. always been a bit of a water baby. I'm sure you've had so many people on the podcast say that. Then after working in whale and dolphin conservation, I moved into expedition travel. And that was really where I managed to start getting to really, really wild places. And I say that as someone who'd mm. been living on the Isle of Mull for, for so- several years at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Talking to someone that lives in central London, mate. Carry on. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, I thought, Mull, this is not wild enough. And uh, I started working in polar regions. So for the last three or four years I've been working in the high Arctic and in Antarctica and in the Southern Ocean um yeah in expedition travel so it's been really an amazing opportunity and since doing that for the last couple of years I'm actually working at the moment on Oceans which is a big landmark series coming out on Netflix so that's going to be incredibly oh exciting um yeah so that's been sort of taking up my time in the most recent history um but yeah I I'm really lucky to have been able to work in some incredibly remote hostile regions um I'm sure that's what everyone wants to do working very hostile yeah. areas <laughs> uh, sounds so not stressful <laughs> i mean it's yeah it's different strokes for different folks isn't it that's amazing is it like but you say like you go on expeditions that kind of sentence is such like a i'm going to use the word archaic in the way that it's, it's so like when you say like someone went on an expedition you you picture wooden ships with sails <laughs> going to the arctic for the first time but and obviously it's different now but do you ever feel like that kind of mindset of like do you still feel like you're the first person going to these regions? I think, you know, when you see huge, great big ice shelves and icebergs for the first time, you, you I think every single person does feel like that. I think that yeah. there are some things that we just don't have access to in our day-to-day lives. And yeah. when you see something that's so much bigger than yourself and is so kind of totemic of our planet and it is a very humbling experience to go somewhere that is so different to the habitat that we've grown up in, you know, and, you know, our urban yeah. schools that we've created for ourselves to realise that there is actually parts of this planet that are still incredibly wild and incredibly different to what we're used to. And I do think that most people that go to somewhere like that do feel like you have a, a very humbling moment where you realise, oh, my God, mm. everything's bigger than me. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I yeah. can't believe so it feels so in, in, insignificant is the word I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and the other thing that I really will never forget was the first time I went down to Antarctica, and then when I finished that contract and for the first time came back to Argentina and came back towards the Beagle Channel and saw trees and grass again, and it looked crazy it's really strange to really to go yeah yeah, yeah. I, that's a real thing i'll never forget when you first see green again you're like oh my god do you remember how everything's green <laughs> it's so different that's so um, weird yes yeah, well, i guess um, so everything is white or like blue so everything just is blue and white so, yeah i never thought about that yeah how long were you out there for then seeing that when you went back oh gosh it must have only been i think the first time i went down to antarctica 
it was actually I'd been so I'd been living in Scotland and working on working for the Hebridean Well and Dolphin Trust, who are a lovely little charity. Mm. Definitely would give them a shout out. Um, if you're keen to support a, a small charity doing lots of big work, then check out HWDT. Um, and I've been living in Scotland and working on various boats in the Hebrides and and kind of that was what that's what I've been doing that led me to work on boats in more remote regions. So I'd been at sea a lot, but never somewhere as remote and incredible as yeah. is Antarctica. And I really did feel like I just was completely thrown into the deep end, pardon the pun. It was <laughs> so I think in on balance, I think that first trip that I did down there was only something like, I don't know, 25, 30 days or something like that. But um it felt much oh, that's longer. still quite a while though. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I reckon I've, I'm so London now that I think like no matter where you put me on the planet, if you put me in Antarctica, I'd be like, yeah, well, well, where's the nearest prep? You know what I mean? I've been looking for like, like there's got to be a coffee place around here somewhere. Like, it's got to be. I'd be so thrown out of touch. <laughs> do you know what? I do remember when I was, um, I think I was 19 or 20 and I was doing my marine biology degree and my granddad's actually a skipper. So, you know, I've been trundling about on boats since I was a kid which is really really lucky and um it was my uni holiday and my granddad said like oh I can hook you up with someone and you can go and do some work on a whale watching boat if you want and I was like oh 100% absolutely that's really what I want to do so I had a little Skype interview and then um I remember my friend saying to me, like, where, where exactly are you going again? And I was like, I'm going to the Hebrides. And I had, no, obviously it's called the Hebrides. I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what I was doing. I was, I felt so young and un, unprepared. And I do remember the first. The Hebrides. That I'm going to the Hebrides. Um, I think you've just decided the title of this episode. <laughs> no, I'm going to the Hebrides. Ella Potts goes to the Hebrides. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, I do remember the first time I kind of went up to Scotland and kind of getting to the small island I was going to live on for the next five months or however long yeah. and, and kind of thinking, where where is everything? Where's Where are the shops and everything? So Yeah, God, I, I, I'd be so <laughs> London about it. I'd be like, what zone is this? Can I use my Oyster card? Like, and they'd be like, no, who are you? What are you doing here? Do you take contact less? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we're still looking forward to electricity, Ryan. Um, <laughs> next question, wildlife and nature. What does it mean to you? I was thinking you might ask something like this. I think, honestly, I'm incredibly lucky that I have. I get to spend a lot of my time in wild places and yeah. in the wilderness and see lots of different you know, species in these amazing places. But I would say that I'm incredibly lucky, but I'm not particularly special. I think that wild places are incredibly important to all of us. I think honestly, it's inherent. Like, of course, we all look at like we all look at the ocean and we all feel calm. Like it's inherent. It's part of us as a species to kind of look at a woodland and see like mossy branches and and find that refreshing and calming. And I I think that I think it's part of our coding as a species. Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, I trailed no, off a no, bit. no. I agree. No, no, I, I agree. I think I, I think we've said it on the show so many times. Where it's like it's part of us. You either have it from a kid and keep it, or you have it, you lose it, and you find it again, or you mm. have it, you lose it, and you never get it back. And it's the latter that I feel sorry for because I think I'm not saying you can't have happiness without it, 
But I think when you have it in your life, the love for wildlife and nature, you have such a greater appreciation for life itself. God, that's the most vegan thing I've ever said. <laughs> Just see what happens when I have a whiskey when we record a show. Just for the listeners, to make yourself aware, I've had a whiskey and that's what I've just said. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's why my friends don't want to go to the pub with me, Ella. <laughs> I liked it, I'll be honest. No, I think, it's, I think you're right. <laughs> it's so important to all of us to have access to our places. And, you know, I think what you asked was, what does wilderness mean to me? And I think it's a really good time to be asking that question because obviously, yeah. oh, a little bit of context for the podcast, because I'm aware that maybe it won't necessarily get mentioned. Um, it was Halloween this weekend just gone everyone yes and uh, that's why i'm slightly losing my voice i went out and enjoyed, enjoyed <laughs> halloween you were um, trick-or-treating shall we say yes i was having lots of halloween fun very topical this week is cop 26 so yeah it's a really important time for all of us to be thinking like what does nature really mean to us i think about this quite a lot actually i'm reading a book at the moment called kindred by rebecca rag sykes yeah and it's about neanderthals and i would definitely recommend it to anyone who is interested in a very good read and i think the thing that really captures my imagination about that book is that there was this kind of moment of revelation and inception where humans cease to be a kind of an animal living in a landscape and we kind of settled down we stopped being hunter gatherers and we we settled into communities and we stopped being part of a natural landscape and we started to make the natural landscape be part of our environment and our world and like that happened around mm. about the neolithic period and i really am quite obsessed with that moment of change when we stopped being maybe like a native animal in balance with our world and we started being something other. I think that really is why it's still ingrained in us to look at the ocean and to look at a woodland and to find it inherently yeah. beautiful because it it's what we came from. It's part of us. And it's deeply, deeply important that we make strong efforts to remember that and to protect it. And it was a terrible winding tangent, but I do think if there's ever a week to remember that it's this week when we should be talking very strongly about how to protect the world that we're living in. Oh, we've and, gone deep very quick on the podcast, haven't we? And now I'm going to drink some gin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great sentence to follow. And on that, I'm going to drink some gin. Yeah. Because whilst we have that faith, also, I'm struggling to keep that faith. Uh, let's drink some gin. <laughs> Maybe that could be the title of this episode. Let's drink some gin with Ella Potts. Right, let's get on to talking about our topic today. We're talking about the polar regions. Like you said, you've spent a long time working in these kind of environments, these very challenging environments that not everyone gets to... I'd say working, even see in their lifetime. Yeah. So the OVS question has to start with, why the cold? Yeah, so obviously my kind of my real passion and my background is I went to uni, I studied marine biology. I've always loved, this is going to sound very obvious, but I have always loved marine mammals and I've always been interested and really interested in something that's so similar to us but also so different and mm, yeah. my, my grandparents when I was growing up were in West Wales and so that's where I kind of had my first encounters with porpoises and dolphins and you know from small boats and things and from shore as well so my background is very much based in you know working for whale and dolphin charities and that's really what led me to working in remote regions so it wasn't 
that I was like, oh my goodness, let's get somewhere really, really cold. It was more about, yeah, it was more, I was, I was kind of led down this path by a, a, you know, a really insatiable love for whales and dolphins. And obviously the Southern Ocean and, and the Arctic are kind of mm. key feeding areas for whales. And so it's by far and away one of the most amazing places on the planet to see a wide range of whales. You know, Southern oh right God, whales, you've got fin whales, you've got humpback yeah. whales. It's this incredibly rich feeding ground. Gosh, I wish I'd... I wish I could remember the exact figures. I think it's something like it's a it's a vast percentage of the world's feeding population of whales make their way on long migrations down to the Southern Ocean to feed every year. So I think it's something like more than 70 or 80 percent of the world's whales. Can I ask why is that? What is it about the southern part of the ocean that brings all the whales down there? When you've got very cold water, essentially, I won't go into the Mm. physics of it, but cold water holds onto oxygen very well. And when you've got rich Mm. oxygenated water, then you suddenly have these huge blooms of life. So it's actually an incredibly rich ocean full of kind of rich in terms of biomass, in terms of plankton, uh, phytoplankton. And it's also home to this incredible keystone species, um, Euphosia superba, which is the Antarctic krill. And Antarctic krill is really the Uh, mainstay of like all of these kind of, you know, all of these incredible food webs, essentially. Um, So it's what the whales are going down there to eat. You've got the most abundant seals on the planet in the Southern Ocean. You've got obviously penguins. You've got just this incredible, incredible volume of biomass in, in the Southern Ocean. So where you get and that and that's a pattern for the whole planet so where you have incredible cold you have incredibly rich oceans and you have incredibly bio rich ecosystems so that's why that's wow. why it's the most amazing place on the planet and that goes to the arctic as well there's something called shifting baseline syndrome so it's where kind of my understanding of the world I live in is very different to that of my parents and their parents before them. And the Southern Ocean and the Arctic have both been kind of overshadowed by a long history of human hunting and kind of commercial mm. whaling. So it's tricky to know exactly how many whales of different species would have been in these regions before we had those huge impacts. But but we definitely know that all of the whales that were hit by whaling are essentially recovering and that's something that has happened really and i know this from naturalists that i've worked with in the southern ocean especially is it's that change has really started to hockey stick since i've worked started working down there you know there was one occasion when we were traveling past elephant island elephant island is basically just a kind of like a pinnacle of rock that shoots out of the ocean you're crossing the drake passage for like four days and it's ocean 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 and whale blows and then suddenly there's this huge rocky mass it looks like something from yeah i don't know something from a film it's incredible we were passing elephant island and it just we suddenly went into this patch where everywhere around you you could look there were whales blows it was like fireworks all across the horizon and we estimated oh we, it was incredible there must have been something like 150 200 fin whales feeding in this area so it's just um it's definitely an ecosystem that seems to be in some ways strongly in recovery which is amazing yeah it's amazing <laughs> it's really amazing it's it's like nowhere else on the planet. That's incredible. And I, I was going to ask you, like, is there certain wildlife that you love to see in those areas? But obviously, like, evidently from what you're saying, you know, marine mammals, whales is yeah. one thing. 
and certainly on the scale that you've just said you see them in but is it what other wildlife or is it the kind of the whole abundance of everything that you love to see in these kind of regions yeah i think there's like a wild abundance of life in in those regions i think another really great thing is is seeing kind of like albatross you've got huge numbers of albatross the bird life down there is amazing i know you love a bird ryan (laughs) Um, every podcast (laughs) i can't do you know what like do you know what this stemmed from ella and i've said it so many times i showed one joke on twitter (laughs) where it was like it was just one joke someone said like like they shared a picture of a guy surrounded by knives and it said what gets you this reaction and I just said, me, when I say I'm not that interested in birds, bam, birders were like, no, you, buddy. How dare you? And the thing is, no, the thing is, the major- like, I, lo- I love a raptor. I love an albatross. I, I love, that's probably it, really. But- <laughs> and you, you wonder why the birders are angry. <laughs> you, you, you wait till you hear me slag off a Caspian gull. I honestly, I just don't, there's so much of it where I'm like, yeah, but they're just, that's so similar. But anyway, you were talking about goals. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know, I, I know. I don't do myself that. any favours. I know, I know, I know. But you know what? I, it's a hill I'll die on. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> you've, ma- you've made your bed. You may as well just stick in it now. I may eh? as well. Do, exactly. Do you know what, Ella? You're right, actually. That's what it is. I don't even believe half the stuff I say. I'm just like, yeah, but what reaction will it get? Have you, um, have you been up to Mull on a side note? What are you about to say? What's up in Mole that I've not seen? No, I've well, not. Have you no. seen? Have you seen the white-tailed eagles? No, but no, but raptors. I like, I like eagles and birds of prey. I love. Yeah, I absolutely adore. I love seeing them. I love hearing them. I love watching them. That's incredible. A warbler? No. Oh really? Oh, but there's so much beauty know. in a warbler. Oh my god, cut that out. That is such a dorky thing to say. I take that back. No, 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 Ella, you've just decided the new title of this episode. There's so much beauty in a warbler. Oh gosh. Ella. <laughs> oh dear. No, the, the the thing is I do I, I as as a person, my as as six foot seven, my head always I've said this on the podcast before, my head always looked down. I never looked up. So I was always looking under logs, I was looking for insects, amphibians, reptiles. I was looking at fish in water and stuff. I never looked up. So I never ventured into the bird world. That's what they say, isn't it? The difference between a biologist and a zoologist and a a geographer is that a biologist is always looking down at their feet and under a rock and a zoologist is always looking around them at, you know, normal height. And a a geographer is always is always looking up in the mountains. So it's um, Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's it's just it's just what I did. But carry on talking about birds of the polar regions <laughs> oh gosh where were we all right so so yeah it's um i think working and this is one of the critical differences i suppose between working in the arctic and working in antarctica is the ecosystems are incredibly different i mean don't get tricked mm. by the ice don't get fooled by the fact that everything is white and blue like you say it's um yeah you know in the arctic in svalbard for instance there are I think there's over 2,000 different species of plants in the Arctic. Working in the Arctic is a naturalist. Oh yes, I know, I know. It's not it's not easy to identify plants either. You were talking about tiny little flowers and tiny berries, crowberries, bearberries, kind of like a miniature forest, essentially, in the Svalbard tundra. And then when you get down to 
South Georgia, for instance, there are 22 different species of plant. And that's because everything that lives on land in South Georgia is carnivorous and makes its living entirely from the ocean. So you've got penguins on shore, you've got gentoos, you've got king penguins, you've got seals coming to shore to to breed. You've got giant petrels, mm. which are essentially, giant petrels are like the hyenas and the sharks of the Southern Ocean. They're kind of like the cleanup merchant. What There's, a mix. <laughs> I know, they're, they're incredible. <laughs> Honestly, they're really cool animals. They're, they're great big bully petrels. So that family, the, the kind of petrel albatross um, family is called the Procellariformes. I think this is suitably nerdy for this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> Procellar means storm in Latin. So they mm. quite literally are this huge, very, very successful seabird family. There's about 120 different species of bird in this family. It's, it's you know, colossal. And it's probably the most effective, it's an, one of the most successful families of birds on the planet and you've got everything wow. in this family from the storm petrel right up to the wandering albatross the smallest seabird to the largest um and they're all called the storm birds they're essentially birds that thrive on storm conditions and that's what the southern ocean is the southern ocean is basically antarctica is in the center and then around antarctica you've got this water that just spins round and round and round spiraling around the southern tip of the planet and it's those kind of circling storm conditions which have allowed huge great big birds like the giant petrels the wandering albatross to evolve they need that storm they need that lift and that wind to kind of carry their huge great big bodies round and round the mm. southern ocean so i mean when you're down in the southern ocean you see something like a wandering albatross flying along beside you it's possibly the case that it's been at sea for about five years and it hasn't been back to land and so That's for me i know seeing and i think for anyone knowing that fact and seeing a bird like that at sea is i think it's pretty incredible that is that is that is mad that is look hands up that's mad it's mad it's totally mad it's a different world down there what can i say <laughs> as a uh, naturalist what are your top tips for working in minus temperatures apart from wrap up <laughs> <laughs> all right i think the thing about the southern ocean is that there's very high biomass but there's very low biodiversity so actually there's not that many mm, okay. there's not that many different animals to learn you know if you're going past a huge tabular iceberg you get feeding birds along the edge of that iceberg but it's it's usually the same characters over and over again so it'd be turns yeah. antarctic turns fulmers southern fulmers cape petrels these beautiful little birds with like white patterning on the back and then maybe you'll see fur seals maybe you'll see elephant seals it's the same characters over and over again that you see whereas like that's that's i suppose how the arctic is so different is that actually there's a lot more diversity in the flora there's a lot more to learn about which is incredibly exciting i think the first time i went yeah. out to the high arctic and discovered how biodiverse it is up there that was a real that was a real sea change for me to kind of get down on the tundra and just realize that you're not looking at a blanket moss of one species it's actually like hundreds of different species of plant under your feet yeah that's a really cool thing to be able to do is to look across a landscape and, and know everything that you're seeing you know there's a real power and beauty in that and you mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast you you mentioned the well i guess you mentioned cop 26 which i think <laughs> with this topic in mind was inevitable it was going to come up 
Yeah. Um, especially as we record this. As myself and Ella are talking now, it is happening. It's only day three yeah. that COP has started. So we're only in the, the mild anxiety of it all. But it's no secret that the polar regions are facing some of the critical changes due to the climate crisis and, well, even biodiversity crisis as well. But mm. what are the main ones that we're seeing in these kind of regions at the moment? I mean, to be honest, it's my my kind of the way I see things is often I'm thinking about things from a like an ocean perspective and like a marine perspective. The the fact that I find really terrifying is that I think it's every single day we are pumping the same amount of heat into our oceans as I think it's a quarter of a million atomic bombs. So we are like it's yeah. like that is terrifying, isn't it? That's like a terrifying thought. Uh. And as like as a kind of like back of a back of a cigarette packet fact, it does make you stop and think like what on earth is all of that heat doing in the yeah. ocean? Like what are the impacts that that's having? And it stands to reason that our coldest places on our planet are being affected the most. So the Arctic famously is being very badly affected by climate change. Again, the big kind of headline is that by 2050, we could have ice-free summers in the Arctic. Absolutely terrifying. And then I think people talk a bit less about what's going on in the Southern Ocean. But the so if you think about Antarctica, it's basically like a great big circle. But there's a bit that points up towards Argentina. So if you think about South America coming down, it comes to meet this little point on Antarctica, and that's called the Antarctic Peninsula that comes up towards Argentina. And the Antarctic Peninsula is actually a really, really important part of Antarctica. The waters around there, the, the peninsula itself, are very, very biodiverse. They've got a lot of biomass there. For the whole of Antarctica, there's lots of the animals live on that peninsula, and the peninsula there is warming five times faster than the average global rate. So it's it's really tracking the kind of the upper end globally of, of mm. kind of, it's really on the cold face of climate change. And that will have a huge impact on all of the animals that live there in the ocean, on land as well. Obviously in Antarctica, in, inherently everything is marine. So animals that come on land like our penguins and occasionally seals everything that lives there from killer whales or orcas through to the humpback whales penguins everything's going to be affected by this warming ocean it's going to be affected probably because antarctic krill which is the food that everything in the southern ocean eats basically yeah. antarctic krill has this very kind of narrow tolerance band that they can live in so they can't live in temperatures that are too high they can't live in salinity that is too high either so they have this really narrow tolerance and if the ocean gets too warm then antarctic krill move and they go back to where it's colder and where it's more habitable for them and that's going to have big dire consequences for all of the animals that eat on all of that antarctic krill so it's it's really difficult I think for us, when we've lived in, you know, in our lifetime, you see very little change. Mm. But I think we do all have to kind of accept that change is truly happening. And it's it's going to have really big impacts, in, especially in our polar regions. I would definitely point people towards the IPCC, yeah. which is an online okay. report. Basically, it's a 
big like panel on climate change and they release research to try and inform decision makers and there's a very easy to read website they have reports on there so it's a really good resource if you want to learn a bit more about what's happening globally in terms of our changing climate <laughs> if, you're, if you're braced to listen to what's happening globally <laughs> if you yeah if you have a whiskey or a gin ready maybe give it a read <laughs> it's pretty sobering um yeah and with us currently in cop 26 and already today there's been i think what three targets released i think on the tuesday that we were recording i think there was one about deforestation there was one about like maybe emissions maybe if i'm mm. guessing from reading the bbc breaking news on my phone i can't quite remember <laughs> i'm trying to take a back seat from it because i don't think i've got the mental capacity to take all the news from cop 26 so i'm gonna try and and i know this sounds mad into the world listeners but i'm putting my faith in the world leaders to do the right thing and know that my worries will not change that but with us currently in cop 26 ella how do you feel about the future of the place that you usually call work yeah i mean it's i feel the same as you to be honest it's um it's it's actually it's a bit much to think about it isn't it it's 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 so easy it's so easy for it to be incredibly overwhelming because as individuals it's not it's not something that we can we we can make a difference individually and be absolutely yeah we absolutely can make a difference individually, but we shouldn't shoulder all of the guilt, I don't think, of something that has to be tackled by world leaders. So I think I think um the fact that COP twenty six is happening is is a good thing. Yeah. And I'm trying yeah, like you to true. just like really keep on top of what's coming out of it. But I, I do feel I and and yeah, and on that point, I try really hard to to feel hopeful and I try really hard to kind of have some faith in humanity i yeah i think essentially i'm i'm trying really hard to feel hopeful i think that when you look around we've got like seven billion people on this planet now and that's like a huge amount of brain power we've got engineers we've got people within within us we do have the capability to fix this we genuinely do we really do have the the knowledge and the insight and we've got the cumulative like cultural power to start to fix the problems that we've created and i think to not have hope in humanity is just that way lies madness we just have to hope that we really can through kind of joined up thinking and processes like cop 26 we can start to make a difference that's the only thing that we can hope because to to not think like that is Let's give it up. <laughs> yeah, it's giving up. But it's it is scary what's happening in polar regions. It's it is scary to see changes mm. and to I've got some incredible people that I work with. Um there's a man called Eduardo Shaw, who I like to think of as a bit of a mentor. And I work in Antarctica with him. And we were down in Marguerite Bay just before that 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 little global pandemic that happened last time I was that little thing <laughs> that little thing the little sea the little sea I call the it the little sea yeah so just before that I was down in Marguerite Bay which is very far south um on the Antarctic Peninsula with Eddie and it was raining in Marguerite Bay and Eddie looked at me and he said this is the first time in 40 years of working in Antarctica that I've ever seen rain this far south so it's it's really there is change happening do, 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 I, th- I think that's part of the problem though I think it's you know people 
uh, I don't know, my parents' generation, I won't say my parents individually, but my parents' generation would be like, well, you know, they said the polar ice caps are going to melt years ago and they're still here now. And it's like, yeah, but you've never been. You've never been, you've never seen them. Mm. You've not seen a change. No one sees a change. The change of these specific environments has not been reported on in the media, so we don't know the change of them. I think that's part of the problem, like you said. Like, I don't know that rain hadn't been seen in some areas of these areas. And now that it is being seen, that's a huge change. Water precipitation from the air is going to melt ice. That's, that's inevitable. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think individual stories of, of the actual change that's affecting animals individually mm. is is very very powerful and i think it's important for people to realize that there is change happening down there it's happening before our very eyes so in the lifetime of one mm. person he can go from every single season working in antarctica and always seeing snow always you know going that far south and it being an incredibly cold dry climate because that's what antarctica yeah. is it's a cold dry place it shouldn't really be raining that far no, south god no um, yeah and and like i said it's otherwise it's just called london yeah exactly well it's um it's funny isn't it so the falklands are at a very similar latitude to london but obviously mm. at the other end of the planet and um yeah and it just goes to show how these kind of small localized environmental quirks like our Gulf Stream can really have a huge, huge impact. So, yeah, I think I think change is, is really definitely happening. And I think the big, the big, big, big change in my mind is is that kind of insidious long term warming of our oceans, which is going to be much more tricky to deal with because yeah. that's going to have impacts on, like I said, the base of the food chain that is so critical to all of those big charismatic animals that we love so much, all of our humpback whales and our penguins, they all depend, unfortunately, on ugly little krill. So if something happens to the krill, <laughs> then it's not going to be good times for the for the big animals. It is a bit scary. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Like, are you, are you managing to keep hopeful? <laughs> no. Um, no. <laughs> Yeah. Um uh it's such a hard question to answer, isn't it? Like you said, I have to keep hopeful. If I don't keep hopeful, then I get depressed. And then if I get depressed, I wander down a dark path of the world's Yeah. And what I am hopeful for is that the targets from COP twenty six, for example, will be ambitious and they will be probably sensible. I think the execution of those targets throughout however many years, and they probably could be a few years cut off of those targets, will not be met. Because I think as a, if we're looking at our country as a UK or as England, um, we're not great at reaching the targets we set ourselves anyway. Mm. So I think when we start to set ourselves greater targets, we're like, great. So we look wonderful on paper, but you didn't hit the target previous that was smaller and more achievable. So... I find this so. I this this is why I try and take a back seat, Ella. I think because I really get quite stressed about it. <laughs> and do you know what? If anyone's listening now, just go to a renewable energy company. Just change your domestically. Go to a renewable energy company. Don't use fossil fuels. Yeah. Ditch Shell. Ditch BP. Ditch Eon. No matter how much they greenwash you and tell you they're doing. Oh, we're no f them. Totally agree. Absolutely. Them. And go to 
bulb energy, go to octopus energy, go to good energy, go to ecotricity, anything like that. Because these are the companies that are actually putting their money and their customers in the right direction. And I think as consumers, and we are consumers, the one best thing that we can do is change how we are heating and energizing our domestic environment. And then after that, look at the businesses you're using. Look at the businesses and do the carbon footprint for them and look at what they're doing to the world and start to change there. Because like you said, every little helps. If you can change the stuff you're doing in your direct life in your home, fantastic. But then start to look at, you know, what what's the carbon footprint of your pension fund? Mm. What's the carbon footprint of the bank you use and the supermarket you use? And if it's bad, get rid of them. You don't need them. Yeah. Go to something. I've gone on a rant now. That's all right. I had a massive rant earlier about birds. I've gone on. I went into trance mode talking about albatross. So this is fine. I've just realised you asked you asked me one question. I've gone on a massive eco rant. But this is how I feel. I feel like don't don't. It's not all like it's not up to us, but it is up to us at the same time. Mm. It's not up to us to make the changes, but it is up to us to. Our politicians are not leaders, they're followers. If, if, if we make a big enough noise, they will follow in the direction that our money goes. Mm. So we need to put our money in better places. So in, in the longest and most aggressive answer to your question, Ella, I feel hopeful, but I struggle to hold that hope. I think. I, I enjoyed that. I, it's a, I, that was a nice rant. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever need a rant, come to Ryan Dalton. He's great at getting that's, on rants. Yeah, that's, that's nice to know. I, yeah, when I, need my, when I need my next rant fix, I will hit you up. I am here for you. <laughs> to add to that as well, SSE. I called SSE when I changed my energy mm. and I asked them... And I was on hold for a long time and I got through and I asked how much of your energy is renewable. And the answer is 100%, weirdly. So I think like, really? yeah, I know. Um, so I, yeah, I called them like a year ago. And I think that's something that we as consumers can do is yeah, like have 100%. the power to ask questions. Because actually, if, if 100,000 people are blocking up the telephone lines asking like, what percentage of your energy is renewable, then it's it will filter up you know like money talks yeah yeah that's that's one way that we can definitely affect our influence on things um i have a really great friend who he said his sister did this actually but i thought it was very funny um went to book a table in a fish restaurant and then went through all of the rigmarole of booking the table and finding a time and deciding how many people and then she said um and your scallops where are your scallops from and got the person to go off and find out where the scallops were from and how they sourced them. And then it turns out they were dredged and then she cancelled the table and then left, which um, is like an amazing way to troll people. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it's holding your standards. I mean, I, I don't think I could necessarily do that um, without being panicked. But I think that we as consumers, we do have a voice and we should use it. Yeah. So yeah, good run. Well done. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say on that note to Oscar, who is listening as he edits this, sorry for the amount of times I swore in that because you're going to be using that edit button a lot. Ella, my last question to you. This is going to be the doozy. If you could pass on, bearing in mind everything we have just said, <laughs> if you oh, could gosh, pass yes. on one bit of advice onto Everyone on the planet, everyone's going to hear this. Uh, regarding the natural world, what would you pass on? No, no pressure. Um, <laughs> yeah, no pressure. My, my advice would be 
you're gonna I'm just gonna say the same thing that everyone else says, which is just unfortunately in the world that we live in in this day and age it's the natural world will not come to you you do have to carve out a moment to go and visit the natural world Mm. especially if you live in a city if you live in a town you have to kind of find some time to go and visit and to kind of immerse yourself in that natural world but my best piece of advice would be to write it on your to-do list and schedule it into your weekend and just find a moment even if it's just 10 minutes if it's half an hour on a walk like try to find some time for nature because it's actually an incredibly selfish act it's it's um it's something that will do so much good and it's um in, like a balm for stress it's just a wonderful thing to find a little bit of time to go out and maybe discover a new species of plant or I have an app actually um this is a good recommendation (laughs) if anyone if anyone doesn't have the seek app get seek it's powered by iNaturalist which is a wonderful resource if you start to if you see plants and animals in your natural area of the world you can kind of submit your sightings and it goes into a big citizen science database so we've got something similar in the southern ocean called happy whale it's a really cool little (laughs) citizen science project yeah happy whale's great so maybe that's something to google if you're interested but yeah my best piece of advice would be like find time for nature because it it is gonna really benefit you and it will be closer than you think and yeah it'll make your day amazing well that's that's, that's, it's a brilliant bit of advice i love it i love hearing things like that and the first shout out for the app seek as well which for some reason I'm, oh, really? I'm aware of but still have not got i use iNaturalist and i use for plants i use picture this which is quite good as well um ella thank you so much for joining me on today's episode it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you i feel like we had some nice cop rants as well that happened that was a thing, <laughs> it definitely happened it? Didn't it, 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 did. it is this week it, so i know I feel, <laughs> I feel like as i brought it up me and you were like let's unload some stress um so to the <laughs> listeners if you're wondering why myself and Ella were so passionate about that, it was because this week is COP week and we're hearing lots about it. But Ella, anyway, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and I wish you all the best for your project you are currently working on as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it to come out. It's going to be it's going to be a good one. Hopefully bring some of the natural world to people's living rooms. So, yeah. That's going to be good. It'll be epic, epic. Lovely to chat to you, mate, and I'll keep in touch. Lovely to chat to you. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Ella is working on, then you can do so on social media. Her tags are in the write-up of this episode. And you can also get in touch with me at IntoTheWildPod at gmail.com or on social media at IntoTheWildPod on Twitter and IntoTheWildPodcast on Instagram. Whether you just want to say hello or share some thoughts on an episode or even let me know what you want to hear about next. A reminder that any views or opinions expressed in today's show belong to the person who said them and do not represent Into the Wild or anyone that we have worked with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild aims to always be a free show, however running and producing it is not free. If you'd like to support us by saying thanks and you can do so by buying me a coffee, our Kofi link is in the write-up of this episode. But until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.